Have you noticed recently uh, that there's a lot more beards getting around? I can see some of you looking at mine quite enviously. <laughs> Maybe with a bit of admiration or wishing that perhaps you could sport such a glorious uh, appendage on your face such as this. I think that it seems, a little bit, it seems a bit more common than it was maybe five or ten years ago. And there's some great beards in the project. I love the beards in the project. It's great. As you can see, I personally am growing a particularly bad beard. It doesn't grow in all of the right places and it doesn't join up here. So I get accused of uh, being a Muslim or Amish, all sorts of things. But there are many reasons that I'm growing this beard. Um, and some of them I plan on sharing with you today. We're going to be talking about beards today. <laughs> Throughout history, beards have gone in and out of fashion multiple times. Um, however, for a long time, probably when you think about it, the majority of human history, beards were a good, necessary, and natural thing. Uh, it was difficult to, to have a clean shave when you were just using two rocks that you were trying to bang together on your beard, perhaps. Um, and it would appear that, from a, if we have a look at the Bible, um, that probably most of, if not all, of the major biblical figures that we know and love had beards. Even those that typically might be represented as not having beards, such as uh, King David, because obviously he was young when he uh, killed Goliath, we might see pictures of him drawn without beards. But I'm sure later in life he had a beard. So this morning, I want to talk about a theology of beards. (laughs) Now, if you're feeling a bit strange about this because you don't have a beard, good. Maybe you should grow a beard. No, (laughs) I'll be explaining everything as we go. And obviously, I'm not expecting women to grow beards. It's not a problem. Please bear with me as we go through this beardy journey this morning, and everything will make sense in the end, hopefully. So, to begin with, a few thoughts on growing beards to start us off. At the project, we're quite fond of quoting the church fathers. These are people um, who spent their lives dedicated to understanding the scriptures, and they really shaped the way that we understand the Bible and the way that we kind of do Christianity in church now. These are very great thinkers who have had tremendous impact upon Christianity. So to begin with, let's have a look at what St. Augustine had to say about beards. The beard signifies the courageous. The beard distinguishes the grown men, the earnest, the active, the vigorous. So that when we describe such, we say, he is a bearded man. That's right, he is a bearded man. Next, St. Clement of Alexandria said, For God has adorned man with a beard and endowed him as an attribute of manhood. But for one who is a man to comb himself and shame himself with a razor for the sake of fine effect, to arrange his hair at the looking glass, to shave his cheeks, pluck hairs out of them and smooth them, how womanly. (laughs) I apologise for those of you that did that this morning. That's not my words. (laughs) That's Clement's. Um, and finally, I want to quote a man who, while he's not a church father, he's, he was an extremely influential preacher, um, and he preached, it, it would uh, appear at, a, at a, a bit of an approximation, to somewhere near 10 million people while he was alive, uh, and that's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And Spurgeon was a great lover of the beard. He had this to say about them, growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial. So we can see that although fashion might not always dictate that growing beards is appropriate, um, some very influential and wise Christians have certainly approved of and encouraged beards and really decried the lack of beards. 
Let's continue by thinking about what practical purposes beards have. And on a day like today, I can tell you there are very many practical purposes, such as warmth. I can see the beardless shivering amongst you, whereas my chin is toasty warm. Well, actually, the underbit of my chin, it doesn't really grow properly out there. There are four lessons, though, and these I'm, I'm thinking more like practical lessons and applications as opposed to practical uses uh, that we can learn from the growing of the beard. And they all start with the letter P. Firstly, patience. There we go. As G.K. Chesterton said, one cannot grow a beard in a moment of passion. It cannot be done overnight. Rather, growing a beard takes a significant amount of patience. It takes months. So, patience, that's a good lesson. And that really connects with the second lesson, which is perseverance. Throughout the different stages of beard growing, they all have their own issues. You can have itchiness, it can be unsightly, uneven, and even, unfortunately, unappreciated. You can speak to my wife about the unappreciated part. The weathering of all of these harsh situations, though, can increase a person's perseverance. So there's a positive of having a beard is that you're learning more perseverance. You have to persevere with people telling you to shave your beard off. Thirdly, planning. If you know that you have a formal event coming up, you might have to plan your beard weeks or even months in advance to make sure that it's at the appropriate stage. Um, Some people might not appreciate a big bushy beard at a wedding if you're a best man, for instance. Um, Those sort of people might need to choose their best man differently because beards are very important. And finally, precision. And I've learned this one the hard way. Eating soup and really any sloppy food in general can become a minefield for disaster. Uh, I can remember having a conversation with one of my bosses here for about 30 minutes and at the end when she left, she told me I had oats all through my beard. And I did. She said, I'm a good friend, Diff, because I told you. I'm like, you could have told me 30 minutes ago. So while it becomes a minefield for disaster, it also becomes a tricky training ground for detailed precision. I've become a lot more precise in my eating, which is good. My baby could learn some things from me. It would be wonderful. But the question I can hear you all asking is, why are you talking about beards this morning? That's a good question, and I'll get there, okay? I will get there. But now let's turn to see what the Bible has to say about beards. The Bible has a lot to say about beards, actually. In fact, in Old Testament times, uh, beards were extremely important. In fact, the cutting of one's beard usually signified that that person was deeply distressed or mourning, as can be seen in countless events in the Old Testament. The shaving of heads and beards, as well as the wearing of sackcloth and putting ashes on your head, was all connected with deep sorrow. Also, it would appear as though beards were connected to a man's identity, as a man is in some ways, uh, as his identity as a man, because having it cut off, by someone else, was actually seen as really humiliating. In fact, they used to do that to people. They'd, they'd cut their beards off in, in a sense to humiliate them and then they'd send them back to where they were. Uh, in 2 Samuel 10.5, the king said to a bunch of men who had had their beards cut and their clothes cut as well, stay at Jericho until your beards grow and then return. It's almost like you can't come back here until you've got your beards back. Not only that, but for a long time, beards were expected to grow as a part of the law That's explained in Leviticus. In chapter 19, verse 27, it says, You shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. So beards were expected, encouraged, and actually you were forbidden as a part of the law in in the Levitical law to cut them. So we can see that there were some times biblically that having a beard was very important. 
So let's move on now to the verse that I want to focus on today, which is in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. And this is the King James Version that I'm going to be reading from today. We usually use the English Standard Version of the Bible, um, but I like the way that the King James Version puts it. It says this, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity in Christ. This morning is not about beards. It's about the gospel. I want to talk about the simplicity of the gospel this morning. The continuation of that verse, it goes on to say, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Maybe some of you are seeing the connection here. Maybe it's still a little bit confusing. Churches can become weighed down with specifics and can often focus heavily in areas that perhaps don't require the amount of focus that's given to them. I just spent 10 minutes talking about beards as an example of that. For instance, some churches focus intently on money and wealth, and they spend half of the time preaching about the tithe, and then they send out the person to do the preaching. Some focus a lot on singing worship, spending the majority of their time singing songs. Others might focus in their content as uh, on God as a father who loves unconditionally and pours grace in abundance. Others might focus on him as a righteous judge who divides the sheep from the goats. Others highlight the works that Christians should do and others again highlight the fact that works have no impact upon salvation so they play them down significantly. And perhaps somewhere others preach about the importance and theology of beards. In fact when I was researching the beard stuff Um, I actually found a website called The Bearded Gospel Men. So if you're into beards, maybe check it out. But you know, all of those things that that I mentioned, that I listed there, they're all important things and they're necessary. It's necessary and important to sing and to praise God, to talk about money, to talk about the love of God, to talk about the wrath of God, to talk about all of these things. Perhaps beards aren't as important, but the rest really are. They're all true. But sometimes when we focus on specifics and when we kind of nitpick about theological details, something that can happen is that we lose sight of Christ and we lose sight of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that theological details are unimportant and I want this to be a measured uh, message this morning. I don't want to lean too heavily away from details. What I want to do is focus on the simplicity and the centrality of the gospel. At the project, we try to be measured in all that we do. However, we're obviously aware of the fact that we focus more on teaching than singing, and you can tell that just by the amount of time that we spend doing each of those. We spend about twice as much time on preaching than we do on singing. Um, This is obvious, but not only that, we have some specific areas that we kind of focus on a bit, such as biblical counselling, which we talk about a lot. But we have made an active decision to try to ensure that we preach not just what we want and when we want, but to cover what the Bible covers. And we've done that by preaching through books of the Bible. And last week we had the 50th and the last sermon on the book of Hebrews. Uh, Now, this is done as an attempt to ensure that we don't become obsessed with one particular element. And there are a lot of elements to talk about. We don't want to become obsessed with one and 
focus on it and neglect others. The truth is, God is complex. As I've said before, um, maybe a couple of years ago now, God really has to be complex by definition. A God that we can understand completely, how he works, exists and operates, is a God that's small enough to be understood by our very small human minds and therefore not much of a God at all. By definition, God must be huge, must be bigger than what we can comprehend in order to be God. And he is huge, infinitely huge. There is a never-ending list of topics and a stream of discussion that could be had in trying to figure out everything that there is to figure out about God. And doing that is important sometimes. Sometimes it's important to work hard, to read the Bible and other books and authors and listen to other preachers in order to try to understand more of a particular aspect of your faith. I firmly believe that we should not be lazy in our faith, happy to just accept what people tell us and never look into the details and read the Bible for ourselves. However, there are times that we should relax and enjoy the simplicity of the gospel. The fact that I can say... There we go. The fact that I can say God is complex but the gospel is simple should raise some questions. And interestingly, the word simplicity as it appears in that King James Version comes from a Greek word which means singular. So we're talking here about the singular message of the gospel of Christ as expressed in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 which says Christ died for our sins in, in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In Romans 16, 17 to 18, Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, I hope it's obvious that what I've done uh, by beginning this message today on a theology of beards is just a little prank to try to prove that point. I've taken something fairly arbitrary and harmless, such as beards, and found quotes and references in the Bible that I could twist around to create such a theology as an example of the kind of things that can create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Now, I don't know if anyone would ever do this. I would hope that they wouldn't. But, you know, you could start a whole denomination focused around the verses about beards where everyone has to... I mean, and and there are denominations where people, where the men do have to have beards. I think it would be interesting, though, to know what everyone was thinking while I was speaking about beards. What was going on in all of your individual minds? Maybe you're thinking that I've kind of lost the plot a little bit. Or assuming that, hopefully you're assuming that I had a point and that it was going to be a decent point and you weren't just you know, thinking that the whole thing was going to be about beards necessarily. Um, perhaps some of you were into it. Some of you guys are like, yeah, secretly I've always wanted a beard. Now the Bible says I have to have one. <laughs> Let's see the wife argue with that. <laughs> Probably not. I, hope, I, I assume no one was thinking that. But for those of you that were disagreeing with what I was saying, for those of you that were thinking... Uh, it seems as though Diff is, is kind of telling us that we all have to grow beards. It would be interesting to even to know what you were thinking 
or planning on saying to me afterwards, if you were just going to kind of let it go, if you were going to say, I'm not sure about this whole theology of beards thing. My point here is a a theology of beards is an unnecessary theology. It doesn't matter. We've talked at the project before about the idea of closed-handed and open-handed arguments and ideas. Closed-handed means ideas ideas that are crucial to Christianity. These are things that are non-negotiable. And open-handed means that we don't think it really matters that much. Beards, obviously, open-handed. I've been fighting to have them closed-handed, but, you know, my clean-shaven brothers, they just refuse. It's got to be open-handed, apparently. Two Christians can disagree about something as prosaic and ordinary as beards, and they don't have to start a new denomination over it. These extraneous opinions are those which cause divisions and obstacles, though. At its core... Christianity is simply expressed in two verses. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our salvation. Prior to that verse, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. To just remind us of the fact that we all need that. We all need this salvation. We all need to confess our sins. And Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. We're all sinners and we all need Christ. The other verse to express the simplicity of the gospel is found in Jesus' words uh, when he says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the, first, uh, the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. When you look closely at it, we have a simple gospel. To confess our sins, to love God and to love everybody else. We don't have to argue about things as basic and ordinary as beards. This is not hard to understand. Confess your sins, love God and love people. But we still manage to complicate it. We're complicated beings and we have the ability and often the desire to complicate things. Now, granted, there can be complicated questions that can arise out of these particularly simple sort of statements. For instance, when we're told to confess our sins, the obvious question that arises then is, well, what constitutes a sin? That's a good question. You have to know what a sin is in order to be able to confess it. And when it comes to loving people, well, that might seem easy, but you would know loving people can be difficult. And knowing how to love people can be difficult. For a mother to smack her child's hand away from a hot plate might not seem like love to a child. And it might not seem like love to the other children around either. And the other children could all get together and say, what a mean person for doing that. She obviously doesn't love you because they don't understand the hot plate either. But as adults, we know better. So to say love people, sometimes it actually means warn people. And a lot of the time, that's actually not seen as loving. That's seen as um, kind of bigoted or small-minded or pushing your opinions onto other people. To warn people about sin can sometimes not be seen as loving. But the truth is, when you think about it, it's more loving to go out on a limb and to try to warn someone of impending pain that's coming their way than to just sit back and accept and let everyone do, you know, everyone mind their own business. This is where the definition of love... Uh, meaning accept everyone and what they do, really falls short. 
And that's kind of the definition that the world wants to push on us. When they talk about Jesus' words, to love people, that's really what they mean. Just leave everyone alone. That's what love means. But unfortunately, you can see, and a really basic example of a, of a mother hitting, you know, smacking a, a hand away from a hot plate, that love is not always just leaving everyone to do what they want to do. We should not happily accept people doing things which we know will destroy them. We should lovingly warn them. We should speak the truth in love to them. The problem is a lot of the time that obviously Christians speak the truth without love. And that is obvious when it happens. And so now we realise why we need the rest of the Bible. There have been significant efforts in recent times to just minimise the Bible and Christianity to just the word love. But it's more than that. And Jesus said a lot more than that. Love is at the core of what we are called to do, yes, but there are definitions of what love looks like, which we should look into. Now, you might here be thinking that I've completely strayed from my purpose to talk about the simplicity of the gospel by talking about the complexity of some of the things that are contained within the gospel. Well, you'll remember that I said that there's times for both. There are times for loving honestly and openly and experiencing the love of God without examining it or thinking too hard about it. And there are times, also, where examining and looking closely are important. The Christian word that, we, that tends to get thrown around a little bit is seasons. That's what people say, the seasons for different stuff. I think that that possibly comes from Ecclesiastes 3, which is called a time for everything. And it opens with the phrase, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then it goes on to list a multitude of things of which there are certain different times for. As an example of these seasons, um, with regards to spending some time delving into the complexities of the gospel and other times just kind of relaxing in the simplicity of it, uh, I remember hearing an apologist speaking once about a time that his son, who was in his late teens, approached him and, and told him that he could no longer be a Christian for the same reasons that he used to be a Christian. He told his, he told his father, I can't do it anymore. And his father wasn't dismayed. He said, well what were your reasons for being a Christian before? And he said, pretty much it was just because that's what you told me. It's what you told me to do. It was the way I was brought up. Um, I believed everything that you told me and I followed your lead. And I can't do that anymore. I can't just build my whole life around something that I don't know much about myself that I only know through you. I need to look into it myself. I need to own it for myself. And the father was not upset about that at all. In fact, he was happy that his son would be doing that, that his son would be taking his faith seriously enough to look into it himself as opposed to just accepting what he'd been told. See, in that boy's life, there was a season for not looking really deeply into certain topics like justification or sanctification or the reliability and historicity of the Bible. But then once he arrived at a certain point, you know, it all of a sudden became important for him and he knew that it was something that he had to do. He needed to take some personal responsibility and not just accept blindly what he'd been told by his parents. And there's been a similar, there's been similar seasons in my life. Maybe you can think of times in your life where it's been different. Um, but in my life, there's been times in which answers are perhaps not readily available and actually searching for them and, and trying really hard to find them might actually be destructive. For example, many of you would know that 18 months ago, we lost 
uh, are three girls, triplets, at 21 weeks of pregnancy. And that was a time during which there was no definitive, definite answers. Um, What I mean is no one was able to tell me why. No one was able to answer the question of why such a thing would happen. There were plenty of kind of platitudes and sweeping theological generalisations about, you know, the sovereignty of God and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, there wasn't an exact answer as to why, which was completely personalised to me and to our situation. And that really needed to be okay with me. And it is okay with me. I'll know one day, I'll understand one day, or perhaps even then I won't. Um, But there are some things that we're just not meant to know on this earth because we're incapable of understanding them. And I actually believe that if I'd allowed it to, asking questions and trying to figure that whole thing out could have consumed me and could have changed me dramatically. I could have focused all of my effort and brain power on, on interrogating the scriptures and listening to other preachers and writers and praying and coming up with some kind of reason explaining why it happened. But, you know, it probably wouldn't be true. Or at least it probably wouldn't be 100% accurate. Because I don't think I'd be capable of having a full 100% accurate understanding of why such complex and devastating things happen. But then, if I had done that, once having arrived at a certain position, which might satisfy my want, my greed or my desire to be able to understand everything, I would have probably unknowingly developed a theological viewpoint which I would then apply to my life and quite possibly expect other people to apply to their lives as well and maybe even force on other people. People do this. We do this all the time. Instead, at that point, I knew that I just had to be still and know that God was God. I could hold on to the peace that passes all understanding. In fact, when you think about it, Through my not understanding, I could find peace. This idea that there is a peace that passes all understanding, you can see how that peace only exists when you don't understand. And if you're always trying to understand all the time, you're actually kind of avoiding some of that peace. If I tried to understand and to fit everything that had ever happened into my life into a neat little box, which I can fully explain, I don't think I would have peace then. I would always be trying to figure everything out for myself. So I hope that that can make it clear, that little example, that there are seasons for really delving into theological depth. I had a similar situation as that young guy when I was about 18, when I realised I, I just didn't think Christianity made any sense at all. I thought it was just confusing and weird and made up. And I spent about two or three years, I didn't really consider myself a Christian at the time, two or three years uh, listening to a lot of stuff online and reading a lot of stuff and was so happy when I realised that it made sense, that it made logical sense, that there are good logical reasons for believing what Christians believe. And that was a time where I was delving extremely deep into theology. And then six years later, a time when I kind of forgot about that stuff. That stuff didn't matter. Excuse me. I was just able to relax in knowing that God was God. Sometimes... That deep interrogation is important and other times it's less important. But here is a really important point to remember. Even in the seasons of deep thought and interrogation, the simplicity and singularity of the gospel remains. 
If our theological obsession means that we are no longer loving God, loving other people and repenting of our sins, we've lost it. We've made our Christianity academic. We've made it all in our head and it's no longer impacting our hearts. We've strayed into the deep dark woods of our own minds where we, where we risk developing a theology of beards or something as silly as that, which requires all men to grow beards in order to be true Christians. In fact, we may have fallen into an idolatry of our own ability to understand things. It is actually possible to have an idolatry of the Bible, to have an idolatry of particular scriptures that we're obsessed with and we ignore other stuff. We could worship it and the knowledge that it can provide instead of worshipping the God who spoke it and who provides that knowledge. There's two instances in the New Testament, there's probably more, but these are the two that I'm talking about today, that Paul mentions this kind of thing. And both times he warns against conversations which can be divisive. In Titus 3.9 he writes, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. And in 1 Timothy uh, 1.3-7 Paul writes, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I just love the fact that Paul talks about this, that he realises that, that this is kind of a human inclination to have vain discussions about things which, at the end of the day, don't necessarily matter. These two passages demonstrate us Uh, the fact that there are some things which at certain times, even though they may appear to be biblical, godly and important discussions, may actually not be beneficial and may create division uh, and dissension. There are times to talk about this stuff, but I remember very clearly uh, trying to talk about uh, Calvinism with a friend when I was going through my time of of really kind of digging deeply into stuff. I came across Perseverance of the Saints and Tulip and all the sort of stuff that goes along. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter. But it's just deep theological stuff. And and I was talking to a mate of mine who was really just on the on the fringe of Christianity and he said, Diff, thinking like this does not help me. It doesn't help me to, to love God. It just confuses me. And it was the first time that I realised that, that was the case because I just assumed everyone was like me and everyone was going to need the same things that I needed. But it's not like that. And so you can see why sometimes it is important and that at other times and with certain people, it's just not the right time. It's not the right thing to be talking about. So this morning's message is a simple one. Do not fall into the trap of developing a theology of beards. Resist the temptation to turn your experience into what must therefore be everyone's experience. Do not forget the simplicity of the gospel. Do not become so academic in your Christianity that you forget about knowing Christ. But likewise, do not stay a child in your Christianity. Ephesians 4.14 warns against this by encouraging us to no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The truth is, if we focus only on simple statements such as love God and love others, there's definite potential to be tossed to and fro. So there's a time to think and there's a time for theology. But even amongst that, there's a simplicity which we should always all be thankful for. I'll close now with some more words from Spurgeon, but this time not related to beards. God be thanked for the simplicity of the gospel. The longer I live, the more I bless God that we have not received a classical gospel, nor a mathematical gospel, nor a metaphysical gospel. It is not a gospel confined to scholars and men of genius, but a poor man's gospel, a plowman's gospel. For that is the kind of gospel which we can live and die upon. It is to us not the luxury of refinement, but the staple food of life. We want no fine words when the heart is heavy. Neither do we need deep problems when we are lying upon the verge of eternity, weak in body and tempted in mind. At such times we magnify the blessed simplicity of the gospel. Jesus in the flesh, made manifest, becomes our soul's bread. Jesus bleeding on the cross, a substitute for sinners, is our soul's drink. This is the gospel for babes and strong men want no more. So perhaps you're in theology mode right now and it might be a season of less of your own battling to understand and put God in a box. Or maybe you've never really spent any time doing your own work in the Bible. Perhaps you've only ever just listened on Sundays and rarely read the Bible yourself or read any Christian books. You should read some C.S. Lewis, that's always good. Or listen to any sermons or read any articles. Maybe you need to dig a little bit deeper. But when you do, and we all should at certain times, do not forget the simplicity and the singularity of what Jesus did for us and what he wants from us. Do not get weighed down with pointless conversations like theologies about beards. I'd like to invite Nathan uh, to come back up. We're just going to sing one more song in Christ alone because really that's what I wanted to talk about today. It's not about things as basic uh, as beards which can create arguments. Um, There are times for getting deep, but at the end of the day, our gospel is a gospel of love, the love that Christ had for us and the love that we should have for him and for other people. And in fact, I want to pray, um, I want us all to pray together as a church uh, for the Toowoomba Flexi School, who I think just in this last week gone, uh, a member of the school, a student of the school, actually commit suicide. And that's going to be a very difficult time to go back to school for all those people after holidays. And it's this love, it's this simplicity of the gospel that they need to feel that we want them to feel. So would you stand with me, please, before we sing and we'll pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the simplicity of what you did and the fact that we can understand it and that we can embrace it. I thank you that there is complexity that we can go into at times to deepen our faith, but at the end of the day, there's a singularity of your love for us that we can always rely on that we can be still and know that you are God, that we don't have to complicate things. And I pray for that love that you have shown all of us by dying on the cross would be felt especially at Toowoomba Flexi School over the coming weeks and months. I pray for the teachers of the school, that they would be able to look after the students well, that you would give them wisdom and strength and courage and that they would feel your love and be able to communicate your love 
to the students. I pray for your peace over that and for the students that are really struggling with what's happened, that they would, without even knowing you, be able to feel your gospel truth, your gospel love, that it would impact upon them and that there would be a peace that passes understanding. Amen.